Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. We live in a time and a culture that we're very busy and lots of activities going on. Our kids are going in five different directions. And so I think sometimes uh, as parents, we just end up doing everything because it's easier. And according to today's guests, that's not the way we should be doing things. We're joined today by Jonathan and Erica Katherman. They're the authors of a new book, Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. We're living in a time where less and less children know what to do once they've left the home. Today on Connections, the Kathermans are going to share with us how we can prepare our children so that when it's their time to launch, they're able to do so independently. We're joined today by Jonathan and Erica Katherman. They've recently released a new book, Raising Them Ready, Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. And we're going to hear about that book coming up a little bit later in the show. First of all, so Jonathan, you're a sociologist, so you could probably have a unique perspective. But are you parents? Are you both parents? Tell us a little bit about your family life first. Well, we're parents. We have we have two kids of our own uh, we've raised and a couple hundred through the years that have ate at our table and borrowed our car. (laughs) Yes, we we parent two boys who are adulting as we speak. Uh, So it's kind of fun to see them stepping out into the world and giving it a go on their own. Yeah. And I guess for the last 20 years, one of my biggest titles was as mom, still mom. Um, But like Jonathan said, they are they are on their way to launching. Tell us a little bit about launching. Uh, I remember I was asking Colleen before she doesn't remember the movie, but I remember the movie <laughs> failure to launch. Right. And that's a been a big topic. I don't know, at least the last decade or so for parents launching their kids. What do you mean when you talk about that? Kind of like that step to the edge of the nest and take wing and fly away and, and return as, as desired rather than required. Um, when, when we have though a, generation of young people today that are coming of age, but they are essentially unprepared to step out on their own, to launch. They see many of the demands of life as threats that they've got to try to survive Mm -hmm. rather than challenges that they can thrive in. Mm -hmm. So they kind of do this like test launch, you know, I'll go give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, I'll come home or at least I'll bring my laundry home on the weekends. Or, you know, I don't don't know how to cook really yet. And there's Mm -hmm. still this high level of dependency as young adults Whereas by now, launching, they should be practicing their independence. When do we start teaching this? Like, my kids are five and seven years old. (laughs) This is something, obviously, that we can start teaching them very early on. Absolutely. I mean, in the book, we talk about this being a process that starts ages 2 to 22 or, you know, plus, 22 plus. But from the age of 2, we're teaching our kids how to life skills. We're teaching them how to wash their hands. I mean, two to five, that's a big time in life where some of the the most simple things are a big deal. Washing your hands, brushing your teeth, tying your shoes. And those are the little things that we get to help uh, instruct, guide, and counsel on along the way. And then as they go through the different ages and stages from two to eight, nine to 11, 12 to 15, we have kind of this broken down in the book as part of the launch list of ages and stages and what to do in those ages and stages to help our kids be prepared uh, to actually someday do life on their own. 
interesting too. You have um, you founded a an organization called One M Mentoring Foundation. Is that kind of like the work you've been doing with parents, or what? Yeah, how does the two connect? Well, the the foundation we use to support life skills and character mentoring in schools and community groups around the world. We provide the uh, resources in the way of curriculum. And then they work through group mentoring. It's really phenomenal to watch these kids practice their life skills, you know, in a safe space rather than having to learn in a, in a tough place. And it, when it comes to families, we work with all types of families, both in the foundation and just as, as authors and sociologists. And we work with everyone from elementary school families, parents to, to military families. And it's, it's fun to see that no matter where we go and who we're talking with, families, parents have the same desire. They want to see their kids grow up and become better than ourselves. That's kind of this universal value that most parents hold. So um, the foundation supports that. But at the same time, we do just in, in our normal work and our writing and, and everything we've committed to as a couple. Why are we struggling so much? To get our kids to a place where they can succeed. And why are they so dependent these days? I think that it all depends on the situation. But so many of us parents, we want to be nurturing, which is important. But some of that sometimes overspills to doing everything for them. We live in a time and a culture that we're very busy and lots of activities going on. Our kids are going in five different directions. And so I think sometimes uh, as parents, we just end up doing everything because it's easier. Uh, Sometimes parents can be indulgent and just do everything for their kids just because that's how they have uh, low expectations or low demands. And then they just kind of take care of everything so that the kid doesn't have any stumbling blocks. No, no chance for failure. No stress, no stress. You know, you don't want your kids to feel stressed. That'd be horrible, right? (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a problem though, is we're we're doing so much for kids today because it's easier for them and easier for us. We want our kids to just have this wonderful experience, but in a way we're stealing from them the opportunity to build the resilience they're going to need to succeed throughout life. You know, trophies for every woman. You don't want anybody to feel bad. Well, really, no, it doesn't work like that in the rest of the world. So set our kids up young so that they can learn to and practice to uh, be independent and and even more important than that, interdependent, where they they spend time with us as parents because they want to, not because they have to. It's really we've been kind of struggling with things like this. My kids are close to Colleen's age, three and five, almost. They both turn those ages in a couple months. Last night, like we've been having trouble with my son tantrums. He's almost turning three. Bedtimes have been horrible. Last night, finally, I sat him down in his room as he's throwing a tantrum, and it's just like stop, stop, listen big boys don't do this. And I had this conversation. This is what big boys do. This is how big boys act. But then in the, in my head, the entire time, I'm like, this is wrong too. And you're going to mess him up now. Right. (laughs) Saying this, like effectively telling him he's acting like a baby. Right. And I don't know. It's, it's so hard to know if you're doing the right thing or not. Well, first of all, you do know that it's the terrible threes, not the terrible twos. Right? Yes, we're learning. This is perfectly normal. Welcome to welcome yeah. to three year olds. Right? We call them we call them a turdler. <laughs> little turds. Yeah. So. Kids are du- struggling at that age to deal with their emotions and and express right. themselves. So some you know this is very normal, and I think that part of what helps them come out of that is as we help teach them and guide them 
Um, they, they learn how to do things on their own. And as they learn to do things on their own, they start even at that young age to build a sense of confidence in their capabilities. Mm. It's the best. I mean, with the older kids, I can do it. I can do it. Look, mom, look, dad, I can do it. Those are proud moments. And they're starting to be able to be proud of the things that they're capable of doing. And give them a, give them an aspiration. We, we had some very wise counsel with a close friend of ours who, who told our son about the same age as he had a, he had a thermal nuclear meltdown in her candy <laughs> store because he didn't get the treats he wanted. And she said, this is not what strong, brave and courageous boys do. You are strong, brave and of great courage. And she ended up having him march around her candy store, huh? pumping his fists in the air, proclaiming <laughs> to the world that he was strong, brave and of great courage. And, and that has stuck with us as a family. And we still say that to our children, to our boys. My son left for high school this morning and, and he's in grade 12. And as he's going out the door, I said to him, go be strong, brave, and of great courage. This is kind of a commissioning. So then when they do act with strength, bravery, and courage, we're able to affirm that. Whether they're three or 13 or, or launching off to go out into, their, into the world on their own, that they get examples of what strength, bravery, and courage looks like. I love that. You have four different parenting styles that you identify in your book, but there's one specific style that you guys favor over the others. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it is so effective? Well, I kind of talked about the indulgent parenting a little bit earlier, and uh, there's also the authoritarian parenting where there's high demand, but low responsiveness. Um, You know, the person, the parent who expects everything from their child, but then you know, doesn't show a whole lot of love and support. The indifferent parent who they're not very demanding nor responsive. They just kind of figure the kid's going to do what the kid's going to do. But totally important to know that your parenting style does matter and that the authoritative parent, not authoritarian, but the authoritative parent is demanding and responsive and demanding not, you know, in some negative way that we might look at that word, but we do have expectations there. You know, we do expect that they're not going to have a thermonuclear meltdown all the time. Um, And, but that, that then there is a responsiveness from the parents that we are nurturing and uh, we're there, we're guiding. Uh, In the book, you talk about the kids' true needs. What are those needs that we need to be mindful of as parents? Right. So when our kids say that they need a new cell phone, (laughs) <laughs> or they need a new pair of shoes, or they need to, and they fill in the blank with something really expensive or outrageous, you know, like time-wise, you're like, no, that's not really what you need. What you really need is to be safe, to be loved, and to belong. And in a, in a home that is, is focused on bringing those values to a child's life as they grow up, the other things fall in place as, as wants, but things that the kids will express that they truly need is safety, to be loved, and to belong. And so when you're providing that to your kids, um, the, the arguments about the other things they need are easier to navigate. And it's perfectly normal to have those debates about what they think that they want versus what they need. That's just part of growing up and learning that stuff costs money and you know, requires time. But when they feel that we can have that conversation about the newest and best you know, shoes or uh, concert tickets or something that's expensive. And even as, you know, little kids want stuff, you know, every time you go to the grocery store, they want something at the checkout line, right? But that's not what they truly need. They, they need safety, loving, and to be belong. 
I was talking with a friend the other week. He's telling about going on a vacation a couple weeks ago with their family and the kids were acting up in the back seat. And he finally, he did total dad move and pulled the car over. Right. And <laughs> had a pretty tough talk with the son. It sounded like, and, but then later in the day, his son, who is about 10, I think thanked him for that. And we were just talking about like kids actually want boundaries. They want us to set expectations and things like that it might not feel like it, but that's, also one of the things that they need, I guess, and want from us. Absolutely. That's a perfect example of what authoritative parenting is like. You know, as an authoritative parenting, we have high expectations of our kids, but we respond to their individual needs. Sure beats, you know, pulling the car over and saying, get out and walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's address the issue. And I need, I, I want to share with you my concerns as a parent from both my parents' perspective, but also how you're acting. And if we stay calm in that process, again, that goes back to that safety, love, and belonging. You know, that's not how we act in this family. Um, we work together. We can get through this, this part of the road trip, which nobody's loving right now. We'll get there soon enough. Um, but you've got to meet your kids where they are. And sometimes meeting them where they are in their need, even if they're throwing a tantrum or if they're, they're you know, having a problem in the back seat, and even if that's on the side of the road where you're meeting them where they are, is we also got to give them a vision for where they can go. So not just stop this, your behavior is unacceptable, but also cast a vision for what is acceptable and what will not lead to conflict. So don't do this, try instead doing that, and we'll get along a whole lot better. It's beautiful what can come out of that. I know right now we're going through a difficult time with my son, and uh, last night we had a good conversation and kind of figured out what was causing all of these problems. It was, it's been, it's been bad, but once you take that time, you sit there, you listen to your child, you set those boundaries, you chat. It is unbelievable what can come out of that. Absolutely. And you, you right there, you are building the feeling of safe and loved because you listened because you gave space for that. And, uh, that that allows us as they get older to continue to get in the pattern of instructing, guiding, and then even the maybe cherished counsel when they actually ask for our guidance for our help. One big thing that we never like to talk about as parents is failure when it comes to our children. But it is absolutely important for our children to fail, whether that be in something in life or whether it be in school. The report cards just came out the other day with our kids' schools. And uh, I don't like the report cards they have nowadays because all they do is praise, 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 praise. There's no such thing as <laughs> failure anymore. Why is it so important to allow our children to fail? And what can they get out of that? Well, I think it's also important when we talk about failure to recognize that not winning doesn't necessarily mean failing. Right. We've, we've set our kids up for this belief that everything excellent is their pursuit. It has to be the best. And allowing our kids to not win and or to fail, allows them also to build resilience. And they're going to need resilience as they mature uh, in their character. As they grow older, they're going to be expected to act their age. And that's what mature people do. They recognize that they don't always get first place. They don't always get a trophy. And not everything works out to their liking. And essentially, we would call that, you know, we got to allow them to stumble. You got to allow them to fail from time to time. Kids, kids will pick up and they'll move forward if we allow them to. In fact, I think they would, I, I've seen enough kids look at this odd little trophy they just got for showing up or for coming in last place and basically saying, this is useless. It's worthless. You know, why bother? 
Um, allow your kids to struggle a bit. That's what practice is about. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes better. And if they're not acting perfect, be it in their grades or in their behavior at home, allow them to, to struggle with it. And then practice better ways to behave or better ways to study or better ways to perform. Because that way they get in that cycle of, of developing themselves one layer at a time. There's no fast track to the top here. We're not climbing ladders. We as parents have to build a scaffolding around our kids that allow them to struggle and build, mature, and grow. And that sometimes involves not winning or even failing. The, there's one thing that especially caught my eye, and that is that you both say there is a secret ingredient to parenting. Tell me now. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it's the parenting style. You know, we, we've ah, talked about this yeah, a little yeah. bit with the, the indifferent, the indulgent, the authoritarian or the authoritative style of parenting. The secret ingredient is you, mom and dad. It's you as parents. <laughs> you are showing your kids through passive learning, active learning, and applied learning how they can mature into confident, capable, and kind adults. And the only way to accomplish that effectively is through authoritative parenting. High expectations of your kids but also high responsive to the uniqueness of each child in your home. There are no such thing as duplicates of, of little versions of us, little mini me's. And, and especially the more kids you have in your home, you realize how diverse and how unique each child is and how we need to deal with them uniquely, not just the way that we want to be dealt with or the way, you know, work with that kid. So it'll work with the other, but we need to make sure that we're meeting our kids where they are. That's a parenting style. That's your secret ingredient. Hmm. I feel like, um, like I kind of want to go back to university and do a BA in parenting with you now. So, <laughs> but, and we can effectively do that by getting the book, I guess. Right. Yeah. Go get raising them ready. It'll help. It's a good way to start. <laughs> a good way to start. And you know, it, you say go back to college and it's interesting. Some of the reason that we did look at writing this book is because so many colleges out there that, you know, you're paying college tuition for your kids to go to the uh, universities and, yeah go through a life skills 101 class at the age of 18, 19, 20, because there's, they're still in need of learning some of just the simple life skills of laundry, money management of, you know, scheduling appointments. You mentioned in the last chapter of your book, you're encouraging parents to have a release plan. I'm assuming that includes, you know, teaching them the basics of life, but tell us a little bit more about that and why it's so important to have that release plan. Yeah, we have our our launch list um, just before the the letting go, the release plan. And and the release plan really begins at the age of two. Uh, As you teach your two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old to tie their shoes, you're giving them instruction. And then you release them to try it on their own. And then you guide them as they continue to practice. And so you instruct, release, then you guide and you release. And then counsel, hey, mom or hey, dad, can I tie my shoe this way? Is there a different way? And, and so you end up being the counsel uh, rather than the instructor. You can go ahead and multiply that forward and do any skill or anything um, relational that way moving forward. Let's say you are teaching them how to drive a car. You're instructing them how to drive, right? And then you release them to try. (laughs) 
Hang on, a hang little, on, buckle up. A little, a little harder than tying the shoes, a little, right, for everybody. And then you're guiding them, sitting next to them as they're, they're doing it themselves. And then you really are releasing and they go on their own, right? And then you kind of help counsel through the, the, through the driving situation. You, again, keep taking that instruction release, guidance release, counsel release. Yeah. A release plan is really, it's best suited when we start young and we release our kids a little at a time over time so that we're avoiding that 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, a kick them out the nest, see if you can fly or not. Yeah. By time they're ready to launch, we know they can succeed because we've seen it over time and we've not held on to them and done for them what they should and be, could be doing for themselves. Yeah. So, so really the release, the final release where they move out, they go off to university, they, they, they move into their own place, they, they get a job, something along those lines is a celebration rather than a concern for the parent. So go through and through that cycle. Eric is absolutely right. The, the, in, the instruction, guidance, and counsel with release between each, starting young, two, five, 10, 15, and cycle through that. And by the time they're out, we know they're, they've got this. Right. And that helps them to be self-efficient. They can do it. They're the self-efficacy, not just self-esteem. So they can think they could do all of these things. High self-esteem, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can do all these things. But if you <laughs> haven't gone through that instruction guidance counsel in, in these sections, you may have a kid who thinks that they can go do life on their own, but they, they really don't have um, the ability yet. So continue. that's a- yeah. That's the beauty of self-efficacy is that in a nurturing home, they've demonstrated to themselves that they can do these things. And self-efficacy involves that. You, you have confidence because you've actually yeah. tried it and succeeded. So you're not just confident without, without trial. You've actually gone through the steps. Um, we're going to have you on a whole bunch more times. So Colleen and I get free parenting <laughs> advice here. So uh, <laughs> tell us uh, how we can find the book. Uh, raising them ready, how we can find out more about 1M Mentoring Foundation and keep up to date with everything that you two are up to. Well, the, probably the best and easiest way is come check us out at thecathermans.com and uh, you can get our books anywhere books are sold. You can find us on social media as well on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and just uh, search for The Cathermans. It's the, T-H-E, Cathermans, C-A-T-H-E-R-M-A-N-S, thecathermans.com. Thank you so much for making time for us and for giving us a new light on how to parent our little ones and for oh, those yeah. out there, their older ones. <laughs> well, thanks for letting us have gone through it first. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you again so much. Thanks, have Privilege. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.